So listen to the word of the Lord from Revelation chapter 4. As I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice that I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen. Let me try it. I can do it. Let me show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them, and they were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their head, and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder. And from and in front of the throne, there were seven torches with burning flames. This is this sevenfold spirit of God. And in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like a crystal. And in the center and around the throne were four living beings covered completely with eyes, front and back. And the first living being was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle. And each one of them had six wings, and their wings were covered with eyes. It's getting freaky up in here, y'all. It's weird. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was and who is and who is to come. And then whenever the living beings would give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders would fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created, hast all things created, Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. Thou art worthy, O Lord. And then, in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, I saw a scroll. And there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to take the scroll and open it and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was found was able to open the scroll and read it. And then I began to weep bitterly. 
But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, he has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw the lamb looking as though it had been slaughtered. But now it was standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. And it had seven horns, which is a symbol of power, and and seven eyes, which is a symbol of knowledge. And these represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. Which is amazing, by the way. It's showing how the Holy Spirit flows from the Father through the Son. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when the Lamb took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, who we know, we already know it's the Father. When he took the scroll, here comes the worship again. Heaven erupts again. The, 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 the The four living beings and the 24 elders fall down before the lamb this time and each one had a harp and they all held golden bowls filled with incense, which are the what? The prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tongue and tribe and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests to God and they will reign on the earth. Interesting, the transformation. We went from not worthy. Just one moment ago, he was weeping because none was found worthy to bring God's will to planet earth. It was locked up in the scroll in God's hand. He wanted to bring redemption. He wanted to bring judgment on sin and Satan and evil that would deliver the creation. But none of us, was worthy and then the lamb steps forward. And suddenly, because he is worthy, we are made worthy. And they will reign on the earth. And then I looked again and I heard the voice, this time of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the lamb. This is the word of the Lord. So John has this encounter while he's on the island of Patmos. In the first chapter of Revelation, he encounters Jesus as Jesus really is. Jesus in glory. Jesus with the veil pulled back. Jesus whose eyes shine like the sun and whose voice sounds like the Niagara Falls and whose hair is shining and whose presence causes him to fall at the ground as though dead. The real Jesus not the fictional, not, not the, what's the, not the little, you know, not, not the hippie Jesus wearing sandals and a, and a bathrobe that we would act out doing our best to represent Jesus. I'm talking about the real Jesus, unfiltered Jesus. 
And the second and third chapter are what Jesus has to say to the churches that were on the earth in Asia Minor at the time, the seven churches of Asia Minor. These are real messages to real churches with real families and real marriages who worked real jobs and who gathered on normal days to sing songs and give food and money and support each other and just seek to do the Jesus stuff together. And they got letters. They got this book that I'm reading and when they got it, they heard the part directed to them and they had some things that they were affirmed in and they had some things they were called to repent in. And then we get to Revelation chapter four and John gets a vision of pulling the veil of existence, of reality back and he gets to step through and he has a vision of the father reigning on the throne and the adoration and awe and gratitude of the creation for God because he created. God is worshiped for his, in chapter four, for his, his godness. I don't know if we've lost the wonder and the awe of the idea that God really is a being greater than which cannot be conceived. God is a gr being greater than which none can be and also a being, a being greater than which none can comprehend. If you can think it, it's less than who God is. If you can comprehend his wisdom, it's beyond that by a long shot. If you can comprehend his power, it's beyond that by a long shot. If you can comprehend the biggest thing you can think of, size, power, wisdom, depth, understanding, insight, whatever you can understand is like an ant's understanding of you, but much more. His godness, this, this being who is worshiped for the surprising gift of existence, this is at the heart of what is, of the, of the fact that when we look at the found, when you pull back the veil of existence and, and John steps into the other side where the unseen, unseen realm of reality, what he finds is God the Father reigning on his throne and like light and power and lightning and thunder and beauty and awe and eternal worship and everything is just worshiping him because of the gift of existence, the surprising thing that it actually is good to be. Whatever else worship is, is a declaration that existence itself is good. It's a thank you. But it's not just a thank you, it's a thank you to God. And when you get to that word God, you gotta know it's a placeholder for a concept bigger than our brains can understand, a person greater than our hearts can take in. That word God is a silly symbol that can't possibly begin to exhaust, though it can slightly begin to convey the reality of the being it refers to. His God, look, you don't know you very well. And humans in our concerns feel a lot like ants marching around, sniffing the ground, looking for the food and the butt in front of us. And our concerns are so small, so we and me centered. To, that, to, to rise above the knowledge of an ant to the knowledge of God, it really, to, to rise above the knowledge of a human to the knowledge of God, to the concerns and to the stories and to the agendas and the values and the things that we think matter, that we want to talk about, think about, hear about, read about, sing about, be about. When faced with, the, with God in his godness, 
Something holy, something beyond, something that's foundational that everything else is dependent upon, something that's eternal. But at the essence, at the heart of Christian worship, and by worship I don't mean the singing time at church, but I mean the Christian faith itself. At the heart of Christian faith is this conviction that there's a being whose greatness no one can fathom, whose power no one can begin to comprehend. The birthday card my dad gave me referenced Psalm 147 verse five that basically said, there is no limit to the Almighty's understanding. No limit. Your understanding, God, is limitless. And then chapter five, the Father's redeeming will, his wisdom, his desire, his intention for his creation is written in a scroll, but it's locked to us and no one is found worthy. I love the fact that, that John specifies a very strong angel steps forward and in a loud voice asks the theoretical question, who is worthy? to open the scroll and everyone looks and everyone despairs because everyone searches themselves for a brief second and says, not me. Are you? No one. And John does the appropriate thing and I feel like this is really important. It's not just an awe and a wonder at God and his godness, but there's a certain sense of despair at humans in our humanness so that we're shocked and surprised with delight and just overcome with gratitude and joy when the lamb steps forward and is worthy. Precisely because he shed his blood that he gave when everyone else took. He gave. That he loves, he serves, he is altogether the reflection, the expression of the one sitting on the throne. And because his heart and his life is the perfect expression of the will of the one sitting on the throne, he alone can reach forth his hand. And when he takes the scroll and opens it, we all freak out. Complete lunacy erupts in heaven. It's the, it's, it's the, uh, it's the Hail Mary that wins the game. But we thought we were going to lose. And I just love the detail of John weeping bitterly. It's the, it's, imagine being the disciples on Holy Saturday where the one you thought was the Messiah has been utterly taken from you and failed. And you don't yet see the, the joy of Easter morning resurrection. It's important for us to live and, and, and feel those those moments and their significance. So yeah, it's awe and gratitude at God and his godness as creator. But then at the foundation of our faith is this deep sense that we in ourselves, not worthy, but Christ, ah, oh, worthy. And not just worthy theoretically, he has overcome and he has given us our worth. He has given us our dignity. He has made us a kingdom of priests. He has brought us home to the Father. He has done what we could not, what none of us could do. None of us could do. Briefly want to talk about some of the stuff God made. 
8.7 million kinds of living species on planet Earth. I didn't say 8.7 million living creatures. I said 8.7 million kinds of living species on Earth. 6.5 million on land, 2.2 million in the oceans, over 5 billion extinct species once were here at some point for God's pleasure. 86% of land creatures and 91% of sea creatures have yet to be cataloged by the humans. This morning I was reading an article called the Biodiversity uh, Celebration something where every year a group of enthusiastic science-minded wanderers find all the living specimens they can possibly find within their sphere of where they live and then they report back the evidence, the documentation, the pictures, the photographs to this science board. And they, the competition is who can find the most kinds of living things in your area? Tons, hundreds of new species. Hundreds of new species, like what, 800 and some, were found. You're going to be like, really though? in Louisville, Kentucky. Not the Amazon rainforest, y'all. Backyards. Horse farms. You know those crazy bugs that you find and you're like, I haven't seen a bug like this before. I wonder what that is. Yeah, some scientist wonders too. He doesn't know either. It hasn't been cataloged yet. And yet what we want to talk about is whatever's scary or bleeding or on fire lately or whatever's wrong in the political sphere lately. Myopia, blind, blind human, blind ant marching. Don't. Think bigger, think, look around. Return to the godness and the gift and the awe and the gratitude and the mystery of the thing that is happening around you like a miracle, cause it is, every day. Seven billion humans on the world. You want to know how many chickens there are? 18 billion chickens. <laughs> and Sussex County produces more than any other locality on the globe, my friends. Be proud of it. Own it. You When you walk out of church and you're like, hmm, just say, smells like money. 18 billion chickens. 10 trillion ants. Around 18,000 different kinds of birds. And every human on the earth, for every human on the earth, there's around 40 to 60 birds. We're outnumbered, y'all. An estimated around 20 quintillion total living things on this speck. I don't even know how to comprehend a quintillion. That is a billion billion. <laughs> I can't even comprehend a million hardly. You know what I'm saying? Maybe 20,000 different kinds of fish. Okay, let's go small. How about plankton? They estimate, because you can't count. Come on. Ain't nobody going to count this. But they estimate 2.4 times 10 to the 28th power plankton cells. And that is 24 billion, billion, billion. That's a lot. And that's the things that like the krill and the anchovies and the mother feeders and filtering kind of creatures eat. And then the other fish eat the feeder fish. And then 
and then you buy tuna at the store. But if you're like me, you actually eat the little filter fish. Them anchovies is good. About 130 billion mammals. Let's say, let's say we tried to leave this tiny little speck called Earth, my favorite planet, the little blue one. Let's say we tried to leave Earth. How could we do it? Well, to escape Earth's gravitational pull and achieve orbit, we have to be traveling 25,000 miles an hour. Did you know that? I can't fly that fast. If it were easy, everyone would do it, right? It takes three days. Oh, I, already, I was going to say, how long do you guys think it takes to get to the moon? But I started with the sentence that is the answer to the question. It takes three days to get to the moon. The moon. You know, the super moon that rises and you're like, I feel like I could reach out and just grab it. No, you couldn't. It takes three, three days going like 50,000 miles an hour to get there. The Helios probes are the fastest uh, space vehicles we've ever created, and when they were going around the sun, the solar wind seemed, catapulted them uh, to the speed of 157,000 miles per hour. At that rate, they could reach the sun, or we could reach the sun at that rate, in about 25 days. Going like, going like 150,000 miles an hour, y'all, that's, that's not gonna happen. Like, you ain't that fast. To reach Mars would take 150 to 300 days. To reach the edge of our solar system, just our solar system, guys, just our little star and its little orbiting things. To reach the edge of our little solar system, 40 years. Some of you don't have time to escape the solar system. You're here, you're stuck. <laughs> How long do you think it'd take to reach the nearest star? Well, you ain't going to get there either. It'd take 80,000 years. The nearest star. How long do you think it's going to take to uh, reach the nearest galaxy? You're like, well, the number's going to be big because these numbers appear to be rising And as you go on the list. Yeah. 749 million years to reach the nearest galaxy, which Gabe told me last night was the... Andromeda galaxy. You ain't going to get there either, buddy. Especially since they only estimate humans. Our oldest ancestors were maybe on the planet since about 200,000 years ago, depending on what you believe. But in any case, you, you ain't going to reach Andromeda. There's around 200 billion galaxies. Yeah, I didn't say stars. I said galaxies. Ours is called the Milky Way. Are you small yet? Are we humble yet? There's people who reject all this knowledge. You know why? Because they refuse to think of themselves as anything other than the center of the universe. Well, I'm special and important. Therefore, that science must be wrong. Just because this science is right doesn't mean you're not special and important, but it does put you in a different perspective relative to the size, knowledge, power, wisdom, age, and everything of the Creator. What's so wrong about you getting smaller and Jesus getting bigger? Why would that be bad? There are around a septillion stars. I don't even, why do you? Septillion, that's a one with 24 zeros, guys. I counted them. 
I was like, I don't even have a grid for this number. I'm going to just keep counting. Uh-huh. You know what? I'm going to have to count by threes. That's easier. What in the 24 zeros? Whatever. And if you were to try to travel to reach the edge of the known universe, it would take you 225 trillion years. But if you got there, the father would be there waiting on you. And he'd say, looks pretty right here, doesn't it? Yeah, I made that for fun. Yuri Gagarin, the Russian cosmonaut, he got out to outer space. Remember what he said? I didn't see no God out there. Yuri, he's invisible. What are you doing? You think he's going to be floating out there like, oh, thank God you're here. I've been stuck out here in space for so many. What are you thinking, Yuri? We're tiny and the universe is huge. Isaiah chapter 40, listen to the word of the Lord. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high. Who created all these? He leads forth the starry host by number, and he calls each one by name. Surely that's a metaphor, right? One septillion stars? Guys, we're trifling in matters we know not when we speak of God. Neil deGrasse Tyson said, if there is intelligent life outside of our planet, and I'm like, well, duh, of course there's intelligent life outside of our planet. Why would the God who filled this planet with this incredible amount of life be like, man, the rest of the universe gets nothing? If he made it for his own pleasure, it, seemed, it would be, to me, completely incompatible and weird for him to stop with us. But Neil deGrasse Tyson says, if there is intelligent life outside of planet Earth, the space is so big that we just saw how long it would take at the best of our comprehension of it, traveling at crazy speeds to reach anywhere within a given lifetime, that there, if there is intelligent life that would be able to reach us they wouldn't be interested in us any more than we're interested in the thoughts of an ant. I'm like, I like where your head's at, Neil. And yet, our God, the one who fills heaven and earth, the one who heaven is ceaselessly adoring as creator, this God knows we can't know him by climbing up the mountain of knowledge to him that if we are to know him at all, he has to come down and speak our language, maybe even talk a little baby talk to us. Oh, yes, you did. Oh, yes, you are. Right? Yeah. That if we are to under... The smartest person who ever lived, God had to talk baby talk to speak their language, our language. And then we think, uh, what is this? This one here has become one of us. What do you mean... The word became flesh and dwelt among us. What do you mean he ascended back to heaven? What do you mean it's the word of God? What do you mean God became a man? What do you mean God fused his godness with our humanity forever so that we could be made one with him and become his children? What are you even talking about? That a human is now worshipped as the second person of the Trinity by angels and saints forever and ever. That's crazy talk. Psalm 8, right? When I consider, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the works of your hand, the wonders you've made, what is humanity 
that you even consider us? Why would you even stop on your... And yet you've made us a little lower than the angels and you've crowned us with glory and honor. Behold what manner of love the Father has... That we should be called the children of God. What are you... What are you talking about? And so John has this vision where reality, the veil of reality is pulled back and he gets to step through and see God in some sense in his godness and the awe and the, the eternal awe and gratitude and reverence and wonder at God as creator is beyond using normal language to talk about. And then he has the same kind of reverence and gratitude-inducing encounter with the Lamb. God as creator. God as redeemer. And then for the rest of the book, the the, the broken seals release the judgments of God out into the creation. And you go, oh, that's, that's not going to fly with modern readers. You know, haven't we evolved beyond any kind of vision of, a, of an anger or a punishment or a judgment being in God? And the reality is, no, listen, if you love then that which is evil and destructive should make you angry. And if you do nothing to set matters right, you definitely don't love. The secret to understanding the wrath of God is the love of God. And God's judgments are considered salvation by the saints in the book of Revelation. Read it. Babylon, the great word that should not be spoken in front of children. Look it up on your own time. The smoke rises from her perpetually and the saints in heaven, what did they say? Hallelujah! They sing a song at church about it. Hallelujah! The smoke rises from her continually. They're excited about the judgments of God. The book of Revelation reveals that Jesus is the one whose death redeems the saints and the whole creation and releases the cleansing, restoring, recreating, saving judgment of God against Satan, sin, and death. And I think it's time for us to get back in touch with God in his godness, back in touch with Jesus in his singular, unique, completely exalted on his own. There is no one else found worthy, you guys. Jesus, high and lifted up. Jesus, as the foundation and source, like you and I, our little prayer lives and our little sacrifices and our little faith and our little goodness, not worthy. And furthermore, it's all gift anyway. John Bellion's a, a rapper that sometimes I, I like listening to him and he said something like, how can I be proud about how smart I am when my intelligence is a gift from God? doesn't even make sense. What, how do you boast about what he gave you and that you have as a total grace? 
That shouldn't create boasting. That should create gratitude. Yeah. But these two themes, God as creator, God in his godness, God as redeemer, Jesus in his singular place for us, for everyone. This serves then as like sort of the foundation of the rest of this book. Now, I'm gonna say a couple things about the book of Revelation and eschatology that I think you're gonna agree with. It's very hard to say anything about eschatology and say, you're gonna agree with this because <laughs> Christians, Christians have agreed on a lot of things over the years, but eschatology ain't one of them. <laughs> That's funny. You can laugh. Well, it's funny to me. I think you would agree with me that Revelation chapter 21 and 22, when the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven, that's the church, Jew and Gentile who believe in Jesus, coming down out of heaven like a bride adorned and prepared for her groom. That hasn't happened yet, right? That God will be their God and that he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And there's... No more nighttime anymore, no more death, no more sin. I think you would agree with me that Revelation 21 and 22 are still in the future. Would you agree? I think you would also agree with me that John meeting Jesus on the island of Patmos and receiving these prophetic words about the churches of his day, that that was in the past, correct? So, would you agree with me that we, we are somewhere in one of the chapters of the book of Revelation right now? Okay, see, it's not so hard to have eschatology and hold it in common. And would you agree with me that this vision of God as creator and redeemer is really foundational to, to what's, what's going on in heaven and therefore what's supposed to be our understanding of what's going on on earth? Would you agree with that? All right. And would you agree with me that maybe we've lost a bit of the sense of awe and wonder and gratitude at God as creator? And would you agree with me that maybe we've lost a little bit of the sense of our unworthiness and Jesus' worthiness and just what an amazing thing that is? Okay. Then go ahead and stand. If you're on the prayer team, I invite you to come forward. I'm just going to give the little response thing and then we'll be done and I'll, and I'll give a benediction. But if you, if you want to receive prayer for anything at all, please, please know we, we always have these guys up at the front, not because they're better at praying than everyone else, but because it's helpful it's, it's just helpful to provide this space. A lot of what we do is just create space, knowing that if, if we create space and then we put our hearts here in an openness to God, he'll come too. So let's pray. Father, we worship you. We adore you as creator. We invite you to reawaken our imagination. We invite you to reestablish an awe and a gratitude and a wonderment toward what you have made in a way that reflects then back up toward you as the maker, the designer, the one who out of joy, out of pleasure, made everything. I ask God for the, the depth of you as God, 
to be restored to us again in simplicity. And we ask Jesus that you would reveal more and more. You, you weren't just slain for us, you love us. No one made you. You laid your life down freely in love. That it was for the joy set before you. What joy? The joy of bringing many sons to glory. Making us yours and making us like you. So I ask God that you would restore even a sense of awe and gratitude and wonder at our unworthiness and then becoming the recipients of being made worthy by your sacrifice. And God, restore to us, restore to us a sense of your holiness and goodness. The goodness of your judgments bringing salvation to the created order. We ask these things for Jesus' sake and for Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Bless you guys.